So you see the big tent out there. Hopefully it hasn't blown away. You see the treasure chests up here on stage. You see that I'm preaching from Matthew 6 today, not 1 Peter. And instantly you think they're going to ask me for money. Which is true. It's actually true tonight if you come to the Go With Grace event. Yes, we're going to ask you to give generously to our project. That's a given. But there's so much more. And we are not using God's word to try to get you to give. We are, I'm going to stand up here today and trust the Holy Spirit to use his word in our hearts so that you would see what is Jesus saying, so that you would see its implications on your entire life, and so that you would also see how that fits in with where we are going as a church. I just want to state the obvious here because today we're talking about treasures in heaven. So please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. If you're able, please stand with me to read God's word. I realize we have many that are unable to stand, and I know that you respect and love the word of God and honor the word of God. Amen. Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. What we're going to see here is what the whole Bible really points to, that Jesus is the greatest treasure. We're going to see that earthly treasures don't last. We're going to see that heavenly treasures last and that we should use treasure for Jesus. That's what we're going to see today. So Matthew 6, beginning at verse 19. This is God's word. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Lord God, we thank you that you are the greatest treasure and that you have given us the treasure of your word. And I pray, Lord, that by your spirit you would have your way with us today, that you would recalibrate our hearts to what really matters in every aspect of our lives. And we pray that you would be glorified in Christ's name. Amen. Jesus is the greatest treasure. Earthly treasures don't last. Heavenly treasures last. Therefore, we should use treasure for Jesus. It should come to no surprise to anyone that Jesus is the greatest treasure. Even if you're not a Christian, you would say, those Christians get their name from Jesus, and they're all about Jesus, and Jesus must be the most important thing in the whole Bible. And that's correct. Jesus is the greatest treasure. We're in the Sermon on the Mount. I loved preaching through Matthew, 168 sermons over five years. I read Matthew over and over again. I got the privilege to preach it verse by verse. And, and Matthew's gospel is very near and dear to my heart. And the Sermon on the Mount is the greatest sermon ever by the greatest preacher ever. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is even showing that he is the greatest treasure. He starts the sermon by opening his mouth and teaching. He's sitting down taking the authoritative stance of a teacher in those days. So when he was done with this sermon, the people were amazed, they were astonished because he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their, as their scribes who didn't have authority, didn't teach on their own authority. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 verse 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Jesus is God incarnate. Jesus can make this statement because he is the greatest treasure. Of course you need to build your life on the words of Jesus. Of course you need to build your life on the rock of who he is. 
In John chapter 6, go there with me. John chapter 6, Jesus is speaking of himself as being the bread of life. Jesus had other names for himself, the way, the truth, the life, living water, the good shepherd. He's the greatest treasure. He's fed the 5,000. He's walked on water. And people are, are coming to him, and Jesus says, you're not seeking me because you're so excited about me. It's because I fed you. You ate of the loaves. And then he says in verse 27 of John chapter 6, do not work for food that perishes but for food that endures to eternal life he's not talking about wonder bread or seven grain sprouted bread or whatever you eat he's talking about eternal life and faith in christ faith in himself the people asked him what must we do to do the works of god a lot of people ask questions like that what can i do to please god what can i do to be right with god here's what jesus said verse 29 he answers them, This is the work of God that you believe in Him whom He has sent. He says, I am the bread of life, verse 35. Whoever comes to me will not hunger. He's not talking about your stomach growling. He says, Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He's not talking about carrying a water bottle with you all day long. He's talking about your soul will be satisfied for eternity eternity he says to them i say to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe all that the father gives me will come to me whoever comes to me i will never cast out he's talking about himself in john 10 he says i'm the good shepherd i lay down my life for the sheep and he says my sheep they hear my voice they follow me i give them eternal life and no one will ever snatch them out of my hand because the father who gave them to me is greater than all They'll never perish. He's the greatest treasure. Jesus is the greatest treasure. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gives these short parables on the kingdom of heaven. The, the place of God's reign, the ruling place of God in the hearts and lives of men and women and boys and girls. And he says in Matthew 13, verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Can you imagine someone goes out in a field and buries a, a treasure chest, maybe like one of the ones up here, and is, it's filled with gold coin. So there's, there's a person who, who goes out in the field and starts digging. And all of a sudden you, you hit some something hard and you you find out that it's a treasure chest and you you dig it up and it's full of gold coins what do you do well if you're this guy in the parable you put it back in the ground and you throw the dirt back over and cover it up and walk away and then you go and buy that field because you know what's in the field you know that that treasure is in the field and you want the field because then if you get the field you get the treasure he tells another parable of the kingdom. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Some of you might have pearl jewelry because they're, they're valuable. Not cultured pearls, real pearls, right? And he says that upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Talking about the kingdom of God. Jesus is the greatest treasure. Jesus is, is what you would, you, you need to sell out and give everything for Jesus. He says, if you want to follow me, you, you deny yourself, you take up your cross, you follow me. You got to give up everything. You got to give up your sin. You got to give up all your good ideas about how life should be. You got to give up all the things that that you got in your mind about what it means to, to know God and you say, no, whatever God says in his word, that's what I'm going by now. 
you're working your way to heaven and you find out that Jesus paid for your sins, you're to bow before him and say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I can't save myself. I can't forgive myself. I can't get myself to heaven. I, I need you. He's the greatest treasure. And so when, when Jesus starts talking about treasures in heaven, here's the greatest treasure. Saying, earthly treasures don't last. He's telling them, He's telling us, don't go after the stuff that doesn't last. It's like, here, let me give you a really good alley-oop. Let me give you the best advice you could ever get. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. But it, it goes deeper than that. What Jesus is saying is, don't keep on laying up for yourselves treasures on earth. And see, what he's doing is he is, he is starting... This, 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 this talk of treasure with a negative and an imperative. It's like he's stopping a crime in progress. He's apprehending a crime. And he's saying, stop laying up treasures for yourself on earth. You're doing it. Your heart is so wrapped up in it. Stop doing it. This speaks to us. We struggle with this all the time. I struggle with this all the time. I know you do too. See, Jesus knows the fallen nature of man and how we would go after all the bright and shiny things of life and we want this and want that and want to gather as much as we can in our arms even when we're being told it's all going to burn. Plenty of people will say, yeah, but I want to enjoy it right now, right here. But sometimes it's at the expense of their soul. Many times at the expense of eternal things. Jesus commands us not to Basically, stockpile, hoard, or otherwise excessively collect earthly treasures. He begins with that negative command. Don't keep storing up these things because, you know what? Moths and rust and thieves are enemies of those things. Earthly treasures don't last. It's very interesting what Jesus is doing here, and he does it in verse 19 and 20. He's using a play on words. He, he puts two hyper-related words side by side and makes a statement. The first phrase is, lay up for yourselves. That's the Greek word thesorizo. It's where we get our word thesaurus from, treasury of words. Don't treasure up for yourselves. But what he's saying is, thesorizo, thesaurus. Because the treasure word is where we get our word thesaurus from. Thesaurizo thesaurus. Literally, stop treasuring up treasure for yourself. And it's, it's in such a way that there's an excessive preoccupation with doing it. So he's saying, don't, don't do this. Do not treasure for yourselves treasures. And that word treasure literally means treasure box, which is why... I put up here on stage some treasure boxes, kind of as visuals for that. But what is Jesus saying? Is he saying you can't have a savings account? Is Jesus saying you can't invest in the stock market? Is Jesus saying you can't set aside any money for emergencies? You can't redo your kitchen or get a new set of tires? Of course he's not saying that. The Bible encourages saving, wise spending, caring for your family members. God has given us many things to enjoy. What Jesus is prohibiting is this excessive preoccupation with self-gratifying collecting of things. Is Jesus saying you can't have a collection of collectibles? I don't think that's the point either. Not unless the collectibles become your one sole passion in life. I must have all these little trinkets all the time and I must get more and more and more of them. Money and wealth and possessions have three primary purposes according to Scripture. Number one, it's to provide for your household. To provide for your appropriate care for those who are in your household and prevent them from being a burden on others. You need to care for your own, your own people. The second 
purpose for money and wealth and possessions in scripture is to help those in need to be able to have something to share and help others in need isn't it easy for us though to look around and go well they got themselves into it let them get themselves out this is my stuff it's very easy for us to think this way i battle that all the time but a third primary purpose in scripture is to support the work of the gospel that you want to use money and wealth and possessions for eternal purposes to encourage and help the work of the gospel from point a all the way to the ends of the earth wherever you're at to the ends of the earth now in jesus's day you were considered wealthy if you had a lot of really fine clothing and if you had a lot of grain stored up and if you had gold those three things and so when he says that you don't want to lay up for yourselves treasures on earth in an excessive manner where moth and rust and thieves steal he is referring to the clothes and the grain and the gold a full wardrobe of clothes in those days was like money in the bank the only problem was that these garments were very susceptible to moths moths would eat these expensive garments i once had a grape flannel suit that got eaten by moths while it was hanging in a cedar lined closet of all places isn't that supposed to keep them away? Moths are eating through clothing, and Jesus says, so you're going to spend all your time worrying about clothing when, when they can just get eaten up by little insects. You could also accumulate wealth in those days by storing grain in barns. I remember when I was a kid going to Nebraska and taking a road trip with my family, we went to my mom's relatives in Nebraska who had farms. And they had big silos for grain for the pigs and the cows. And they put them in silos to protect them from the varmints. Now Jesus says that rust destroys earthly treasures. We instantly think of metal and all the, the damage that rust will do to metal. But here he's speaking of grain, and two different ways this could be taken. The, the Greek word for rust is brosis, and it means to eat away at. So the idea would be that grain would be eaten by varmints, or that this fungal rot, this, this rust that gets on grain would happen and it would spoil. And Jesus is saying, like, if you are excessively worried about that, it could just get eaten up by mice and rats. Now, in those days, you could also store up a lot of gold. And what you usually do if you had a lot of gold is you would dig a hole inside the floor of your house because it would be a dirt floor, and you would bury it in the floor of your house. And the houses in those days were made of, of baked clay. So when a thief wanted to come, he would, they would dig through the wall of your house and then break in invade your privacy and take your stuff so in those days thieves were called diggers because they would dig through these baked clay homes and take things away and so what jesus is getting at in verse 19 is that that you you shouldn't accumulate this excessive preoccupation with things that only benefit life on earth and have no eternal value. Don't stockpile these, these selfish pursuits on earth rather than stockpiling in heaven because he is saying that you should be excessive in your stockpiling of heavenly things. That's what he says in verse 20. He's, he's telling us that the, the temporary is insecure and it's deteriorating and so moths and rust and thieves are going to break in. You know that's true. Anything you have of value, any, any earthly treasure, any wealth you have, no matter how you protect it, you can get alarms, you can put things in safe deposit boxes, you can get cedar-lined closets for all your clothes, but they're going to, they're going to deteriorate. They're, they're perishable and they're vulnerable to being stolen because people want these things. We know we're people and we want a lot of things. 
And why is it that we invest so heavily in these self-gratifying desires, these treasures on earth? Because we're seeking what everyone is seeking, security. And we think that those will give us security. Or worldly success, and we think that that would be a, something that will keep us safe. Or maybe we just want to control our own destiny. Or we want to be self-sufficient. Or maybe we just want to enjoy what God has given us. But I think about the parable that Jesus taught of a rich fool. He's called a fool. It's in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, if you want to go there and look at that with me. Luke 12, there's this, this rich, rich young guy and, and, uh, that he's telling the parable about. And he tells the parable because someone in the crowd throws this line out to Jesus. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. So basically, let me have what my brother has. And, and Jesus says, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? He says, you need to take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he tells the parable to make this point. He says, the land of a, of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. There I will store all my grain and my goods. See, in those days, there was a lot of famines because of the weather. And if you could store a lot of grain, then you could even become richer when the famine came because you could sell it to other people. Think, think Pharaoh in Egypt and when they had all the, the grain stored up. He says, I will say to my soul, verse 19. And there's a big problem there. When someone starts talking to themselves, you know they have issues. I will say to my soul, soul you have ample goods laid up for many years relax eat drink and be merry here's god's response fool this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared whose will they be then verse 21 so is the one who lays up treasure for himself same word and is not rich towards god There was common belief in Bible times and that this belief is actually shared today. The health and wealth false gospel is, is prevalent today. It's been repackaged many times. Back then it was material prosperity and health were signs that God was happy with you and blessing you because of, of how good you are. When Jesus is saying, don't hoard for yourself, don't trust in things. Basically, it's not a sign that God is blessing you and happy with you because you have a bunch of stuff or because you're able to collect a bunch of stuff. See, when we value ourselves above God, we're going to end up making decisions that only benefit ourselves. But when we value Jesus as our greatest treasure, we are going to live with the greatest reality that brings about the greatest joy, and it's the truth that heavenly treasures last that they last treasures in heaven they're imperishable they're unfading they're undefiled they're enduring they're secure they're eternal so verse 20 he basically says almost the same thing as verse 19 just in relation to treasures in heaven and he says like the treasures on earth that are susceptible and vulnerable the treasures in heaven aren't they're not they last forever what are these treasures in heaven? I had my eyes open to a biblical truth this week that I actually have been pushing against for, for a while because I didn't think it was a valid argument. Now, you might have heard me say this before, but when it comes to what we believe about what the Bible teaches, it's kind of like we're carrying around a bucket of rocks and you come into the room with this bucket of rocks and they're all your beliefs. And we get very strong about them and we, we can be very sincere about them but we can also be wrong about them and the challenge is that when you are exposed to the word of god and it clearly says something that are you going to insist upon the way you think it is or will you say wow i just learned something new and that's what happened to me this week i had put limits on 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 something that i thought that god wasn't saying in the word and so i kind of pushed against it 
Not that I didn't believe in the idea itself. When I tell you what it is, you'll understand. But let me go back into my backstory a little bit. When I became a believer, when I was almost 20 years old and I was in college, I had come from a, a theological background, a, a liberal Christian church that was basically saying the Bible isn't true and Jesus isn't God. So when I became a believer, lo and behold, I find out that the Bible is true and that Jesus is God. And you can imagine how exciting and how life-changing, how revolutionary those ideas were for me. So I wanted to devour what the Bible said because I'm like, this is all true. I want to know all of it. And Jesus is God. I want to worship him every day of my life. In fact, as a young believer, I had trouble with the humanity of Jesus because I had come from such a man-centered background that I'm like, it's got to be all the God part. <laughs> and, I, and I wasn't grasping for a while how Jesus could be fully God and fully man. And God worked that out and straightened that out in my heart. But the thing I want to tell you about, about my eyes being open to a biblical truth, is about what it means to have, to have treasures in heaven. Because if you ask me usually and say, what, what lasts forever? I'm going to give you two things. God's word and people. Obviously, God is eternal, so um, you can't even say last forever, right, in that context. He's, he's from eternity past. He's, he's infinite. But what lasts forever, it's going to be people, people's souls, and we, we need to invest in the lives of people's souls, and we need to use the word of God to, to reach them with the gospel. But what I wouldn't have said is, is a treasure in heaven is what I've come to believe Jesus is actually referring to here. And it's the good works of Christians. The good works of Christians. Because I, I would say, well, no, God uses those, but they're not going to be in heaven with us because I, I had ignored some things. I've read the Bible a lot of times through, and that's not a pride thing. It's just praise God that God has given me um, time to read the Word, and, and, I've, and I've taken that time, and I've, I've read the Word a bunch, and I've read these verses, and I've missed them because that's what happens when you hold to a certain view and then you read into things. Now, here's what I want to do. When you think about where we're at, we're in Matthew 6 today, right? So what's the context? The Sermon on the Mount. So let me explain what Jesus means by, by the context of the Sermon on the Mount as well as some supporting scriptures from the New Testament. The Sermon on the Mount, I am firmly convinced, is where Jesus is speaking to believers and, of course, any who will listen and then become a believer or some won't listen and reject the message and not be a believer. So that when he says, whoever hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who built his house on the, on the rock. That would be a believer. The Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You, you know your sinfulness. Blessed are those who mourn over their sinfulness. Blessed are the, the humble and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and the merciful and the pure in heart. And the Jesus is, is explaining what it, what it means to follow him in the Sermon on the Mount. So he's speaking then throughout this sermon of the outflow of his life in believers. Fruitful living. Eternal significance. So treasures in heaven can't just mean, let's say, believing in Jesus or sharing God's word because there's got to be something else there if he's talking to believers already. So here's what I believe he's referring to here. And the treasures in heaven is that those who believe in Jesus by the Holy Spirit do good works inspired by God. The book of James supports this idea that faith without works is dead. Paul, when he talks about his salvation and, and the salvation that you have when you come to Christ is Ephesians 2, starts with you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And then it moves on to God made us alive together in Christ. And then it says in verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not as the result of works, so that no one can boast. But then it says in verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them or live in them. And the idea is the outflow of the life of Christ in us is good works. You look at Matthew chapter 5, right here in the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 16, Jesus says, Let your light shine before men, so that they may see your good works, and then glorify your Father who is in heaven. 
the same idea here. So the treasures is is the Holy Spirit-inspired good works of a believer in Christ. That's what Jesus is referring to here. And so he's talking about fasting and giving and praying and loving enemies and, and your marriage and not retaliating and dealing with anger and lust. And he's saying the outflow of me in you, basically, will be that you are doing what is right, what is good, what is true. Now I want to take you to one place that, that really puts this on display because you might still be saying, well, but how are the good works lasting? How can they be in heaven? How could they not be just for earth and then being used towards heaven? Well, go all the way to Revelation chapter 19. So you come to the end, really, of the Bible, a few chapters before the end, and you see the scene in heaven. There's rejoicing in heaven. And they're, they're singing hallelujah to God. Salvation and glory and honor belong to our God. His judgments are true and just. It says hallelujah. Then you come to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And you hear this, this voice of a multitude. Like the roar of many waters. Like being at Niagara Falls and hearing that roar. It's such a strong, loud voice. And here's what they're, they're crying out. Hallelujah. For the Lord, the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Okay, so Revelation 19, verse 7. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. There's the church. There's the bride of Christ made herself ready. Verse 8. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Now, if you stop there, you'd think, wow, that's really cool cool clothes but read the next phrase for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints in heaven the marriage supper of the lamb Christ's bride the church comprised of men and women and boys and girls who have who have believed the gospel of the grace of God in Christ will be clothed in their good deeds and then go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, there was an issue in Corinth just like there is in any church with, with people in it. <laughs> Sinful people are in the church and they're, they're having dis, dissensions, divisions, and there's jealousy and arguing, strife. And they're behaving, Paul says, in, in hu, only in a human way. And it was because they were dividing up amongst teachers. I follow Paul. Well, I follow Apollos and Paul's going, give it a rest because I was planting and Paulus was watering, but God brought about the growth. We're just servants through whom you believed. And then he says this, verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. So what's the foundation? Makes it very clear. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, no one can build on the foundation other than the one that is laid. No one can lay a foundation other than Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will be manifest. For the day will disclose it. The day is the day of Christ, when Christ returns to judge the living and the dead. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. And then it says, if the work that anyone has done that's built on the foundation survives, you're built on the, uh, on the, the foundation of Jesus Christ in your life. And it's the good work that the Holy Spirit inspires through your life that you choose to do, that you do for Jesus in the gospel. He says, if, any, if anyone's work is, is burned up, he'll suffer loss, though himself will be saved, but only through fire. But if the foundation if the work on the foundation survives, you'll receive a reward. God's well done, good and faithful servant. This is awesome. It, you know, and I've, I've, I haven't grasped this like God wants me to. God's word is, is forever. People are, their lives, their souls are forever. They'll be either be in heaven and hell. But your good works done in the name of Jesus will, will last 
That's big. And it's not just giving money. It's everything you do with everything God's given you. Your mind, your body, your, your hands, your feet, your, your convictions, your house, your car, your electronic devices, your friendships, your, your tragedies, your greatest pain. How can God use this for a gospel purpose? How, how God uses all things, works all things together for good to those who love Him. How He'll use everything in His economy for, for gospel purposes as we yield ourselves up to Him. But what Jesus is saying is, you can do stuff for yourself, or you can do stuff for gospel purposes. You know what's interesting about that? Two people could be doing the exact same thing. One for the wrong reason, and one for the right reason. And one will spoil and rust, and one will last forever. Wow, that's huge. First Timothy chapter 6. One more place I'll take you, and then we'll, keep, then we'll talk a little bit more about using treasures for Jesus. But First Timothy 6, Paul says, verse 17, As for the rich in this present age... And let's just say, if you're making more than $1,000 a year, you're rich in this present age, in a worldwide setting. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. That means puffed up about themselves and worried excessively about themselves, storing up treasures on earth. Instruct them, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Let's just say Great Depression in, in 2008. And any time in the future and every day from here on out. The uncertainty of riches. But on God. Set your hope on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And then it says in verse 18, they are to do good. There's the good works of the saints. And they are to be rich in good works. Rich in good works. We think of it as only like I can put it in my pocket or I can put it in a bank account, then I'm rich. Rich in good works. To be generous and ready to share. Verse 19, thus storing up treasure for themselves so that they may take hold, uh, as a good foundation for the future, so they may take hold of that which is truly life. And the idea would be that you don't earn your way to heaven. No one can ever do that. But it shows that the, the, the record of your life bears out that, that it, it, it shows that you believe in Jesus and that you're committed to Him and that you're with, you're with Him. Jesus is the greatest treasure. Earthly treasures don't last. Heavenly treasures last. So use treasures for Jesus. Use treasures for Jesus. Verse 21, He says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your, your heart is like this pointer right towards the treasure. All your affections, all your inclinations, it's going to go towards your treasure. Here, here's Jesus being concerned about our heart again. He is so concerned with the heart. He knows our hearts. By his shed blood, he cleanses our hearts. He examines our hearts. He knows. He knows. He knows that our greatest energies are often given to combustible things, to flammable things that won't last. Those really key words here, the lay up for yourselves, the, the thesorizo thesaurus, the play on words, don't treasure treasure on earth, but do treasure treasure in heaven. That's the, that's the cool thing, is that there's a good excess God wants you to engage in. There's this really good excess. Yes, on the one hand, do not excessively lay up treasures on earth but on the other hand yes absolutely do excessively lay up treasures in heaven be fixated on that be crazy about that don't make excessive provision on earth but yes make excessive provision for heaven as you preach the gospel as you do good works so that others would come to know christ and be in heaven with us tolkien talked about the cross of christ being the eucatastrophe the good catastrophe. Here, Jesus 
Jesus is showing how there is good excess. This is the yucca excessiveness, I guess. <laughs> Use treasure for Jesus. Don't, don't get all wrapped up in moth-eaten, rusty, vulnerable things. But go for the imperishable, the unfading, the undefiled things. What's in your treasure chest? What's in your treasure chest? Don't store it for yourself. Treasures. That word treasures, thesaurus, literally means treasure chest. What are you holding on to? What is it? What's in your treasure chest? Is it on earth? Or is, are you using things on earth for heaven? This is what this is about. Using things on earth for heaven. It's like Luke 16 where he says, use the unrighteous mammon. That's, that's actually personifying money and possessions as an object of people's worship. And we know it is. Just make friends for yourself by the use of unrighteous mammon so that afterwards they will, they will bring you into the eternal dwellings. Do you know what that means? What that means is you, you use everything you've got here to, for Jesus and the gospel and people are going to get saved. People are going to have their souls saved because you invest in, in something that's eternal versus something that's just highly flammable. You know what I mean by that. What's in your treasure chest? Is it, is it God's will or your, your ideas, your own desires? Is it, is it Jesus' will or, or, or your will? Jesus never minced words, by the way. I know I can joke around with the best of them, but this is serious stuff. Jesus is not messing around. He cares about your heart, and he cares about where you're going to spend eternity, and he cares about those that are believers actually investing in eternal things and not getting wrapped up in their little earthly treasure chests that are going to waste away. Is the gospel in your treasure chest or is self-righteousness in your treasure chest? At the end of the day, you're going to be enslaved to something. You will be enslaved to your stuff, you'll be enslaved to your pursuits, or you will be a good slave to God. Is God's word in your treasure chest or is it your own understanding? Jonathan Edwards said something beautiful about the word of God. He says this, you all have by you a large treasure of divine knowledge in that you have the Bible in your hands. Therefore, do not be content in possessing little of this treasure. God has spoken much to you in the scripture. Labor to understand as much of what he has said as you can. He says, make it your business to search for it with the same diligence and labor by which men dig mines of silver and gold. What does Psalm 19 say? It's greater than silver and gold. The word of God is greater than silver and gold. It, what's in your treasure chest? The word of God in there? Is prayer in there? Jesus is talking about prayer here in this context and about fasting because you're so intent on praying you, you go without your food. Or do you have an independent spirit? I can do this all on my own. Is sharing your faith in your treasure chest or is it indifference to the plight of the spiritually dead and the spiritually needy? Doing others good. Do good to all, Galatians 6.10 says, especially those of the household of faith. But do you want to reach others for Christ? You invest in endeavors that have a gospel significance. You want to, have, you want to be used as a gospel tool. You don't want to build a temple to yourself. It's good works in your, in your treasure box. Or is it the deeds of the flesh? Good works, using, using everything you've got to build God's kingdom. What's in your treasure chest? Is there love or hate? Is there humility or arrogance? You could say, well, wait, my, my heart, if my heart as a Christian is, is captured by Jesus... Why am I so tempted to sin all the time? That's a good question. That's a very good question. Think of it this way. Wow, you know that you sin all the time. That's an awareness of, of your sinfulness. And, and you actually know that you need Jesus. That's a good sign. Now don't lead that, make, let that lead you into sinning when you're tempted, but say no to sin when you're tempted. Because you will keep getting tempted to sin all the time, even when you have a heart captured by Jesus. It's just the way it is. I don't know, except this is the way it is. Well, we got the Holy Spirit in us. We got the power of God. We got the gospel. 
So is there compassion in your treasure chest? Or is it a hard heart? Is it a hard heart towards people, towards secondary things? Is there generosity in your treasure chest or is it greediness? Is it all mine or, or do I want to give what I have? I struggle with this every day. I look at what I have or what I don't have or what I think I have too much of and, and it's convicting and it's unsettling and I think we're all thinking about these type things, especially where we live. Is your treasure chest God-centered or self-centered? Where's a heart that is fixed on Christ and his kingdom and on the gospel come from? That's another good question, isn't it? How do you get that kind of heart? Where does it come from? It comes from the work of God's spirit. It comes from a work of sovereign grace in your heart. That the Holy Spirit motivates you to seek God's kingdom first from a heart that's not fixated on excessive self-gratification and you're free to honor God however he leads us however he leads you for eternal gain seeking the glory of God and the good of all people Anna shared with us today and I think how does an Anna Niwa go to Japan just up and just go it wasn't for the sushi there's really good sushi restaurants here because she has a heart for for the gospel and for people who need the gospel and for people who are being humanly trafficked how does a Ed and Carla Trenner commit the last 50 plus years of their life to Jesus and the gospel and pouring themselves out in, in service towards others. How, how, do they, how do they do that? Because they're focused on eternal treasures. How does Randy and Susan Clark say, you know, we're going to up and leave and sell our house and quit our job and go to South Africa and, you know, the house is sold and they're doing the they've been there a couple years but they came back to close up shop here i keep meeting with randy and i said you know you're going home soon not at home to heaven he might be but not home to heaven but you're going home to south africa soon because that's home now this isn't home anymore think of amy lucas she gives up two full full ride scholarships to college to go overseas for the last couple years where does someone get these ideas and I'm not saying that you have to be Amy or the Clarks or the Trenners or, or Anna to, to be a, a, a spiritual person or to please God. Right where you are, right this moment, right now in your life, what you're to do is say, Lord Jesus, if you know Jesus, you say, Lord Jesus, what do you want for my life? How can you use me as a tool for the gospel? Everything I've got, my shoes, my clothes, my brain, my, my hands, my heart, my house, my car, my dog everything in my life how can it be used for gospel purposes i mean you could meet somebody when you're walking your dog right i guess your dog could be used for gospel purposes oh look a cute dog it didn't bite me oh you seem pretty nice what's up with you well i believe in the lord jesus he saved me from my sins i hope i have that conversation tomorrow what could what could god do when we start thinking differently changes our hearts Look, is Jesus in, the, in, 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 in our minds? In our, is he our treasure? Is he our greatest treasure? Or is it ourself? I love the way John Stott put it. Eternal treasures, that's doing anything on earth that affects eternity. Doing anything on earth, earth whose effects last for eternity. Again, two people can be doing the same thing, but with different motivations, with a different heart. Use treasures for Jesus. Jesus is the treasure. He's the capital T treasure. So use the lowercase t treasures for, for Jesus and the gospel. I want to take you to one more place before we close. I want to take you to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. And let me say something too. You know, I mentioned at the beginning of this sermon that, well, you see the big tent outside for the event tonight and you see the passage of scripture I'm I'm preaching from and you see the treasure boxes up here and you're like i know where this is going you're going to be asking for money but jesus asks for far more far more money our money is such a small thing in in god's economy he speaks jesus i think 15 percent a lot of percent of the time speaks about money and 
And I will say this too, because you're going to come tonight and, 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 and you're going to say, well, why don't we just give all the money to the poor? Let's give a million bucks or 800,000 or 500,000 to the poor. Let's do that instead. And what I would say is this, we give money all over the place all the time to a lot of places. And, it, and it, I'm convinced that the direction we're going as a church and all of our expenditures is honoring to God and for gospel purposes. And can it be that we can do something on this property to enhance it in such a way for Jesus and the gospel to reach more people? Because I'll say this, if you can't see what we're saying about it, that, that doing something on this property that's different than what we're doing now and using it in ways that open it up to the community even more, if you can't see how that's going to reach spiritually needy people and economically needy people and everyone else, then I would say don't give to the campaign. But if you can see like me that this can be used of God as a gospel tool, not as a temple to men, then I would say excessively give to it. That you lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven by being a part of that. Because here's what he says in, this is what Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, verse 29. It says, truly I say to you, in answer to Peter's question, a statement, excuse me, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus says, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. You might say, hey Mike, I notice when you send me an email, the end of it says for Jesus and the gospel. Why do you do that? Because of this verse. Jesus says, for my sake and for the gospel. For Jesus and the gospel. I want to pour my life out for Jesus and the gospel. I want you to pour your life out for Jesus and the gospel. God wants us as a church to pour ourselves out for Jesus and the gospel. Because Jesus is the greatest treasure. And earthly treasures don't last. And heavenly treasures do last. So let's use treasure for Jesus. And Lord God, we want to just say all praise to, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Who saves by sovereign grace alone. Through the gift of faith alone. In Christ alone, as revealed in your word alone. And it's for your glory alone. Lord, I pray that we could say with confidence that we always point each other to Jesus and the gospel. That we would always be pointing each other to be a part of something bigger and better than ourselves and for a cause greater than anything on earth. For eternal purposes. Lord, may that be true of us. In Christ's name, amen.